Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. We're always happy to be uh, introducing Eileen. Please welcome Eileen Miles. Um, thank you. I just am really impressed by how big the dog crowd is. That's what I'm, that's what I'm forget poets. Um, hey, so, uh, <laughs> what's, what's going on? <laughs> so this is, this is, this is my dog memoir, and, um, and I, it, it literally, I mean, it's about, I, it, I've written other books that are like, I call novels, and people are always like, is like, Miles is writing a memoir, is calling it a novel, but this is totally a memoir. But it, but there, it, but I do kind of like make. So it's true. I didn't make up the dog, but I totally made up the book. And so that there are flights in here that are, um, I don't know. I mean, they're like it's like the imagine. It's it's like imagining the dog as well as knowing the dog. But that was. I mean, I think it's totally part of having a pet, right? You kind of like you know the. It's family language. You know, you live with you live with an animal, and you start to call it other things. And I'm not going to say anything else. This is. <laughs> I, I wrote it. I don't have to say anything about it, right? Um, so I'm just going to begin at the beginning. So if there was. So I just want to say there was. I don't know, there was such a. There are a few people in here who actually knew Rosie, which is kind of amazing. She has some family. Um, so she lived from 1990 to 2006, and she lived in New York, and she lived in Provincetown, and she lived in San Diego, and she lived in Los Angeles. Um, she lived in Pennsylvania. She was a pit. One day in 1999, an awkward hand-addressed letter appeared in my, my hallway. The mailman threw everything on the stairs. I grabbed the letter and headed with Rosie to the dog run, which in that neighborhood was a skimpy little triangle at 39th Street, west of 9th Ave. It was an amazing perspective on... What was that? <laughs> it was an amazing perspective on midtown roofs and also dull traffic heading to New Jersey. My neighbors were weird. Sad former actors. I liked the pink-cheeked older woman named Doris who walked everyone in the neighborhood's dogs, including mine. This is like 16 years ago, so Doris is probably dead. Sitting on a bench while Rosie sniffed the ground, I tore open the strange note. It read, Dear Eileen, I take the liberty of calling you Eileen to begin the unpleasant duty of forcing you to legally take responsibility for the damages you have inflicted over a period of nine years upon the being you have taken to calling Rosie. I am Rosie's lawyer. Dog lawyers have only become possible in recent years, even months, which is not to say crimes of all kinds against dogs are new in any way. Crimes against dogs are ancient and widespread, but dogs having the wherewithal to attain legal representation is new indeed. My services have been retained thanks to a generous bequest by an anonymous donor who set up a foundation in her will for the explicit purpose of identifying dogs who were likely litigants. Candidates for beginning a long and arduous process of getting the ball rolling on dogs' rights. 
It's been clear to my client during her life, and most pressingly at the time of her death, that the best way to make this need known would be to take up an individual dog's case, not the case of all dogs, which is too ubiquitous to pursue in the explicit way the law makes possible for human litigants who are generally assumed to be individuals. A wealthy individual, of course, does not have more rights than a poor one. We are all brought up to honor human rights, but only wealthy humans are able to use the full force of the law, i.e., obtain high-quality representation. By this logic, there can be no freedom for dogs unless there are wealthy dogs. There is one today, the dog formerly known as Rosie. She has been left a significant sum of money in my client's will. She may spend it as she pleases with a single stipulation that she obtain counsel and press charges against her owner for a variety of abuses and crimes against dog kind. As you know, Eileen Miles, that owner is you. <laughs> it seemed unbelievable to me. Rosie was about 10. I looked at her licking an empty wrapper against the fence. She appeared entirely innocent of the letter's content. What? Are we all ready to go home, she seemed to say. Okay, I don't think she knows anything about this. I popped the leash back on and walked home planning my day. The loft we lived in was right across from Port Authority. Day and night, I watched the lights of buses sail in and out of the building. I thought about the letter from time to time. I mean, for years. I showed it to people. They laughed and smiled. Could Rosie and my entire relationship be framed as blame? I did force her to have sex with Buster that one time. No, twice. Could I write a book about that? I've never been an idea writer. I have like a spurt, and then I go do something else. But this would be her book. A dog book is a great idea. So I'm going to read a couple more pieces from this book, but for the purposes of the moment that we're living in, culture, I think it's time to kind of step up and be a little more open about that rape. Truthfully. Because I, I was running for president in 1991 and 92, and my, my platform was total disclosure. And so the fact that I had put my dog in a position to have sex that she didn't really consent to seemed like, okay, you're not going to laugh. It's, like, it's, a, it's a horrendous thing, and it, it's going to get worse. I mean, in this room and outside of this room, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But, so it's hard to say right now if it's getting better or getting worse. But this is the rape of Rosie. So I just feel like I can only speak for myself. It was a date. It was quite intentional. Though I'd never met... This is so horrible. This is fucked up on so many levels that, that I feel like I'm sort of... I don't know if you're like sexually abusing me or I'm sexually abusing you, but here we are. There's the door. We're all, I, there's a consent issue at this moment. But. It was a date. It was quite intentional. Though I had never met Buster, Charles had, and he insisted he was sweet, not even slightly violent, utterly tan and about five years old. He had the owner's number, but he lost it. I'll find it. I'll find it, he assured. You will love this dog. And Rosie loves him, too. Charles's eyebrows raised. Big grin. Then there was a girl on 6th Street who worked in a store. She was pretty young, early 20s, and she knew Buster's owner, and she said she would leave a message for him at another store where his friend worked. Then she asked me if Joey, another young guy who walks Rosie, was my son. That was scary. <laughs> or maybe she meant Charles. Mostly I had given up. Every now and then when I walked Rose, some guy would ask me if I wanted to stud her. And I always did someday. I collected numbers and put them in my phone book. Tom, 549-1694. Sometimes I would write dog next to the name. There's also a few phone numbers in the file where I keep Rosie's health stuff. Usually these dogs look too tough, though, or their owners do. They're the kind of people who ask you to fuck in the street. 
I want to be tough. I am tough. So I take their numbers. I like it in some weird way. But I never thought of it as the way for Rosie to meet her mate. Now suddenly she was in heat. I had all the wrong phone numbers in a vacant summer. I kept it free so I could do campaigning. But no one invited me to come anywhere till September. It was like a very private campaign. It was like... And Rosie's too, so this is the time. I was going away for a couple of day, days and I begged Charles not to let her fuck. I want to watch. But to get their numbers. But I felt sure he would let her get laid and that wasn't so bad either. Phone rang one night. Is this the owner of the pit bull that's looking for a stud? Yes, yes, I applied. And what's your dog's name? We set a date for Friday night. I was sure he wouldn't show. Though she, she was still pretty puffy, her pussy. I was not convinced that Rosie was still in heat. It seemed so long. Vivian came over. It was pouring rain. Doug lived in Westchester. Would be driving down. I couldn't even call this guy direct. Had to leave messages on his friend's beeper. Who wound up being the guy with the store on 6th Street. The date was for around 8 or 9. 8 came, left. Quarter and 9. I started calling the beeper. His friend called me back. Far as I know, he's on his way. That's what he told me. There was something about two lesbians and a female dog waiting for this guy and his mail that... They're here. Doug was a blondish guy in his late 30s, I think. Kind of American looking. Buster was beautiful. Also kind of a blonde, I guess. Should we? We pushed the furniture to the side. (laughs) It was pouring out. Doug said the roads were flooded coming in. That's why he was late. Everything felt very valuable. I had just gotten cable and we left it on. It added reality to the moment. Were they going to fight? We were sitting around the sidelines on couches and chairs and Buster would tail Rosie and she would trot away and turn and rear up on her hind legs. She exposed her... So this is the part where I have to resist miming her body. It was like... She exposed her white chest to him and he licked. She made sweet fighting sounds, growls. Buster barked once or twice. I wonder if I was doing something illegal, letting dogs have sex in my building. What was normal in this situation? Why did I want that now? It looked like they were going to have a fight. This is how they have sex, whispered Vivian. Remember that dog down at the park? Yes, assured Doug. It can be very violent. He's done this before, we inquired, just a few weeks ago. She seems to be quite pregnant. I think you'll be very happy with the results. If she's still in heat, she is, he authoritatively assured. Men always say that. (laughs) The women I know who have dogs make the window of fertility be tiny. Buster was trying to mount Rosie now. Her response was to sit down, to cover her butt. Uh Uh-oh, looks like we have to help her a little. We'd be... I I know, that was horrible. That was like, yes. We began to raise her vulva. We used Doug's word. It seemed so veterinary. If we said pussy, it seemed like we were talking about sex. We would push her little doggy vulva up with two palms under her butt. She would turn and try and bite whoever. There were three of us on her now. Do you have a muzzle, Doug asked. It's just like the guy said. Yes, they can be very violent maters. Oh, God, no. Well, I tried calling Delia, who used to have Nancy, a very violent pit bull. Nancy had to be put to sleep. No answer. You got, you, how about this I offered? We wrapped an extra leash around Rosie's jaw. I felt she liked being robbed of her choice. She stopped trying to bite. I held on, up there. Doug was positioning Buster. Vivian held Rosie's vulva up. Doug warned us of not letting Buster get it in the wrong place. They do that, you know. 
Buster's dick was pretty huge. I felt like I was hurting Rosie. What if she's not in heat? Is it in? Is it in? I can't tell. We could use one more person here. How come Charles didn't come? We got it in. They both seemed to relax. They simmered. He poked slightly. She wavered. Her whole body wavered, the two swaying slightly together, his leg cast over her back. She ceased to turn, their two mouths, their huge jaws slack, hanging open, panting in unison, like big smiles wavering in the night. It was still pouring out. We all sat down and relaxed, though still holding on. I took off Rosie's muzzle but held on to her collar. I felt like she needed me. I had a new experience of my dog's body. She had one. She was being fucked right in front of me. I felt shame, regret, fear, excitement. There was a priest on from Operation Rescue. He was going on in a long theological explanation of the Catholic Church, Church's deeply thought-out position. Rosie's for life, laughed Doug, and I didn't know where I stood. The TV had a surreal quality as news came up and went. Rap groups gazed out at us, enticing and threatening. The weather continued to be formidable, and the dogs kept at it. It was sex that was impossible to ignore, yet bureaucratic somehow. You girls ever hear of Main Street USA, asked Doug. A shopping network? Nope, we replied. From his chair, Doug began to explain his business. A lot of empty hotel rooms, vacations, car rentals, just stuff. Lots of extra stuff merchants would rather sell than, you know, like, just let it sit there. You pay a small fee, and you get this card. He pulled out his wallet, and there was the key to all these purchases. I'm kind of a facilitator. I just got involved, and I think it's a really good thing. I think I can make a lot of money this way. I haven't yet, but I'm interested. So I'm going to see where it goes. When I meet people, I just let them know I'm involved. I get a video over at the store. Maybe, maybe I've got some stuff in my car. No, I think Joe's got it. After we're finished here, he flourished his hands at the panting dogs. We can take a walk. Want to? Sure, we chimed. They have been doing it for 45 minutes. Is this normal? 25 minutes is normal, said Doug. They'll stop, he assured. Are they stuck? We threw the word tumescent around. His tumescence. She clamps around him. Eventually her water breaks, that's what it is. And it did. Rosie began to lick her pussy ferociously when it was over. She looked incredibly sweet and kind of used. No, spent. That's it. Buster just lied on his side with his immense pink dick with smears of blood on it. Rosie's blood. Does a dog have a hymen? I kept thinking of the word tool when I looked at his dick. It was a pink tool, a deep pink. We gave them both a lot of water. They were very thirsty. Want to go for a walk, said Doug. The rain had stopped and the street had that shimmering blackness. Doug had moved out of the East Village a couple of years ago. Couldn't take the filth anymore. The noise, the disgusting people, the attitude's different. I've lived here for years. He went on like that all the way down 6th Street. Rosie was farting nonstop. What does this mean? We bumped into a a buddy of Doug's. Hey, he yelled. You know that straight guy yell? People, (laughs) People who watch Saturday Night Live who stay in to watch it in the 70s. (laughs) He introduced us to the guy. I really felt like I was in somebody else's life. Who were we supposed to be? We were just all having sex. I'm starving, muttered Vivian. At the store we met Joe. Everybody was very smiley, shaking hands, but it wasn't about the dogs, it was about the shopping network. He handed us the tape. This is really good. Everyone smiled when we started talking about the dogs. The dogs were like these girls we fucked while we were doing business. Um, I mean, was that a good... I'm not sure that was a good experience, right? It was just like there was, some, there was some silence there that I thought we're all thinking really intense thoughts at this moment. Um.
So this is just a completely other, we're just going to go to like kids theater. We're just going to go someplace else entirely. So, so uh, one, of the, one of the ideas of this book is that um, when I first got this dog, Rosie, I, look, I looked into her face and I just had this distinct feeling that this was my dad who had died when I was 11. And they just had like the same gaze. And he would totally come back to me, my dog. And it was like this feeling I'd had for the whole 16 years of her life. And so I wrote a, I wrote a piece called My Father Came as a, Again as a Dog and I explained how this works, the whole kind of transmigration of souls and stuff. And, and so, I read, so I was writing it at McDowell at the Sauter's Colony. And so I read it and people like really liked it liked it, but then they were like, so does, does, does Rosie talk? And I was like, that's like so McDowell. Does Rosie t-? I was like, no. you know, so then I started, I was like, well, under what conditions would she talk? And so I thought about it, and I, when I was in um, grade school, I took all these after-school art classes, and one of my favorite classes was the puppet class, and I made these puppets out of paper mache and stuff, and I still have my puppets, they're like my prize. So I was like, and I've been thinking for years, like, make a video of the puppets, what should I do with the puppets? So I was like, okay, if the puppets had a talk show, and they invited Rosie on, then she would, of course she would talk. Well, we should just sit there. (laughs) So I'm just going to read a little bit of the puppets talk show. Oscar, the host, is a puppet. He has shiny black painted hair and bright red dots on both his cheeks. He's wearing a pair of blue overalls with very baggy suspenders and a blue and yellow striped shirt. One of his feet is gone and his pant leg is empty. Oscar, hello, hello, hello. Our guest tonight, Rosie, a dog, is here to set the record straight. All puppets, yay! Oscar, yes, Rosie is our guest. Thanks for coming, Rose. Rosie nods. Glad to be here, Oscar. Very glad, in fact. Rosie leans forward a bit in her chair, adjusting her butt. Oscar, puppets and dogs. A lot of folks probably can't see the connection between our kinds. I say balderdash. All puppets. There's a a chorus of puppet drummers. There's a drum, puppet drum circle. All puppets drumming. Oscar, our studio audience, the kids. Camera pans to the kids. Just to the left of Oscar and Rosie is a short row of puppets. Bedelia, who has black yarn hair. Montgomery, a young guy with painted reddish hair. Casper, a ghost. <laughs> Little more than a white clown head with a sheet. And finally, Crocky the crocodile. A pair of paper mache jaws going clack, clack, and a lower body of red and green upholstery material. Behind them are hundreds and thousands of puppets going back endlessly into the horizon, which becomes mountains and hills also covered with puppets, all the puppets in the world. (laughs) Rosie turns and returns to Oscar, smiling. Wow. Oscar, yeah, there's a lot of us. The meeting of puppets and dogs has been a long time coming, and you can see how important it is to our kind. Puppet nation. No, puppet universe. Rosie, I hope I can do my kind justice. I mean, there's only one of me, and there's a lot of dogs. Oscar, what do, Rose, what do dogs want, Rosie? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you agreed to come in today, and you can see what your being here means to us. And I hope you don't mind me being honest. You guys are cons- generally considered the enemy, for good reason. Dogs historically have torn a good many puppets apart, torn us to shreds. Camera close up on Oscar's face and a tiny tear is dripping down. Rosie, I get it, Oscar, a lot of wrong has been done. But those dogs... Oscar raises, bows his head and then lifts a white hand. Oscar, those were ordinary dogs, Rosie. Is that what you're going to say? Oscar looks over at his wife, Adelia, and all the puppets up in the hills. He regains his composure. Rosie, I think I would feel more comfortable on the floor. Hops down and plants her head on her paws, looking innocent. Oscar, forget it, forget it. You came here to talk with us, and it's time to move on. Dogs are pawns, and puppets are pawns. Let's face it, puppets are puppets. 
People put their hands inside us. They enter our heads and our bodies and make us say things whether we believe them or not. Rosie, over her shoulder. People have us on leashes. People feed us on the floor. They put us to sleep. People put us down. Oscar Wright, and that doesn't happen to us. But now that you're animated, we've got a lot more in common. All it takes to see things fresh is the right opportunity, a good invite. Oscar looks around proudly to be on our show. Rosie hops back on chair. And how many dogs get this, Oscar? How many dogs are called? I'm grateful I was called. I always was. I guess that's why I'm here. Oscar, what was it like? Rosie, what was what like? Oscar, "Mm, I don't know how to put it. The fame? I mean, you've definitely been getting famous right now. You've been written about like Lady Di. You're basically being deified. Flips through the pages of a galley, nodding, as well as defiled. Rosie, no great shakes, Oscar. Big dog, little dog, all the same. Humans are the problem. I think you'll agree. Oscar, nodding. Hmm. All puppets. A murmuring begins with Oscar's low hum and cascades all the way back up the mountain like a growly bell or a quake. Oscar, you just touched the rock, my friend. Rosie, the one I had rode me like a car. She was interested in how she abused me. She wrote about it. She wrote about... It extensively. I mean, I think that's why I'm here, right? When I died, she described the ways my body was treated. Paw pushed in plaster like a criminal or a child. They made a rosy souvenir before they threw me in the fire. Then, and only then, and oh yeah, when I was dying, get this, when they're wheeling me around town like a rich man. Then she writes in her long legal pad, puppet, puppetry. She gets the idea that I was used, treated like I was empty. Great. Yeah, well, how about my whole long life, Eileen? Oscar, that was your name for her? Rosie, no, it was not. I called her Jethro. (laughs) That was my name for her, and believe me, I got in more than one fight defending that name. I tell a few other dogs in the park, ugh, here comes Jethro. When she's loping towards me with her big smile and a rope like it's good news, I've got to go home for hours and sit on the floor. Yet I had a certain amount of loyalty. The dogs in the park got snickering and telling all the other dogs, look, look, Jethro. I wasn't down for that shit laughing at her. That's part of why dogs, dogs in captivity, but that's pretty much all dogs, we're known for our loyalty. We stay with the hand we were dealt, and we generally will fight for it. Dogs do have choices. Unlike you guys, we can move on our own, and some dogs totally do. Go to Mexico, for instance, and live your own life, that you can also fucking starve on those streets. But yeah, there's a lot of us down there, but I guess anything's better than getting gassed as a pup. But my point was that I very often was defending her and getting myself in fights in the dog run for years. And did she have any idea? First she tries to get me knocked up, had me raped. And that is in the book, to her credit. Later she decides... No, that's not what I want. Then she has my insides yanked out. Puppets look aghast, all puppets. <laughs> Rosie, you didn't know about that? Spaying? Oscar, they take your copy thing away. That's it, right? Isn't it, Rosie? Still, do you want more dogs? Isn't that the argument, alleviating dog suffering? Rosie, yes, we want more dogs. Do you want more puppets? Rosie turns and looks up the mountain and beyond. We want to outnumber humans and turn it around. Not in a warlike fashion, but gentle. You know, we're doing it from the inside out already. That's what this book means. We are talking to our masters very gently and subtly. Dogs are true leaders and strong teachers, as the life of Eileen Miles after my own life will show. Life is, sh- life is short. That's the problem. It's very hard for one dog to do much in one lifetime. 16 years. By the time you hit your message, your body's failing. Oscar, so there's some truth? Rosie, truth to what? 
eyebrows raise. Hmm? Oscar, well, here's your book, Afterglow. It's right on my knee. And what I'm hearing now from you is that it's not so clear how much of the work here is yours. Oscar turns towards the camera, waving at the book. Authorship, who's writing who? Puppets take the cue and start drumming. (laughs) Rosie, want the facts? Okay, here's the facts. My lawyer wrote Eileen Miles 10 years ago when she did nothing. I was begging her for years, at least, make us some money. The pages my lawyer wrote were brilliant. Can, we, can I throw them up on the screen? It's a little long. Oscar, we're in puppet time. Do puppets have time? All puppets. Oh, yeah. Rolling up the mountains and the hills. Projected on a screen behind Oscar and Rosie is the following. Dear Eileen, puppets drumming. I take the liberty of calling you Eileen to begin the unpleasant duty of forcing you. Rosie, off camera. Oscar, have you read this before? Oscar, letter or the book? Rosie, any of it. Oscar, I read the whole book. Nothing gets on the show I don't approve of. Rosie, okay, so I totally wrote the letter. Oscar, what are you saying? Rosie, there's no lawyer. There's no money. I I never said it because it kind of confuses things. I put it in her head. That's what we always did. She feels she wrote it. Oscar, God, there's some legal issues to this. She must... Hold on. Foundation in their will for Oscar. We've got plenty of time. She must know. Rosie, she knows. You know how humans are, particularly this one, vague. The stuff early on about the hand-addressed letter is fiction, just covering her ass. I don't know. Maybe she's trying to give credit to the post office. But um, leans forward. I sent her something else, a dream. It's short. Can I send it to your phone? Oscar, now? Awkwardly pulls his large phone out of his overall pocket. I totally think of it as a cricket, like Papa, Papa would have a cricket. Eileen's dream. At the party, I was talking to Peggy, Oscar, Peggy the dog, the one in Ireland, Rosie, no, that's later, it's Awish, the filmmaker. I was talking to Peggy, and she asked me how I've been. You know, it's very lonely in California, but I'm doing what New Yorkers do out there. I'm working on myself. (laughs) I mean, there's no people, there's people, but you don't see them, everyone's in their houses. So you can't help seeing yourself. I went there with a girlfriend, you know, in less than a year. She's up in L.A. fucking around. I wind up in a very large bed, a California king, they call it. (laughs) Rosie, looking down at her own phone, smiling. I love that bed. Do you still have... Did you get to that part? Oscar, yeah, let me check on. The explicit purpose of identifying dogs who were likely litigants, candidates... Oscar, we're still okay. Eileen continued, One night, as I was falling asleep, which had been very fitful that winter, trying to get myself adjusted to sleeping alone in a giant bed inside an empty house, I began seeing a slow fade slideshow of the faces of all the women I had ever been involved with. Each of them was looking at me with love in their faces, and as I laid there in my giant bed, I found it hard to believe that that had been my life, that anyone had ever looked at me that way. It was painful, lonely feeling, and then I fell asleep. I woke up anxiously in the blue of morning. I looked out the window at the eucalyptus trees and felt a stab of anxiety and realized I must get up. I jumped out of bed and went into the front room, which had a door which looked through a tiny yard with a fence onto other houses in a suburban street. At that moment, a light went on in the house across the street. It was the house of a large, depressed lesbian named Junie, who had, I had determined wanted me by the way she impulsively grabbed me once at a meeting. Oh God, Junie's going to be awake now, I thought, as if by standing there looking out the street, I was responsible. I stood in my doorway, taking all of it in, when suddenly I saw myself standing there looking out as a toy, a wooden puppet with a pointed nose, nodding benignly, smiling, and looking out. Oscar lifts his head, smiling. It's very sweet. Rosie, I'm glad you think so. Humans would think it was creepy. 
Oscar, humans never like thinking of themselves as puppets. Puts white-gloved hand on Rosie's paw. Your secret is safe with me. I think we're going to go live right now. There's one today, the dog formerly known as Rosie. She has been left a significant sum of money. Oscar, okay, that's the kind of history we like. He rocks a little bit, looking at all the other puppets. Rosie, powerful document, I agree. And anyone with half a brain would have written a dog's desiderata on behalf of us, or even a serious defense of herself, and would be set. No. Old Jethro shows it around a bit like, look at the brilliant piece of writing. I don't know what to do with. And whoosh, slides the letter into her files. Maybe she publishes it in a student magazine. Years pass. I listen to her whining and huffing. What's wrong with my life? Why can't anyone see I'm a genius? On and on. She took me to nature, to the sea, to the forest. She did her best when it coincided with what she considered her career. Puppets, what's that? (laughs) Rosie, they put their hands inside of you, don't they? Same idea. They use whatever they've chosen, law, sex, poetry, whatever they choose, they try and do that to the world. Animate it. Put their hands inside the thing and shake it at the world, wanting everyone to go, whoa. That's pretty much how I understand a human career. And we are feathering their beds. Yes, I taught her to write. I showed her the way work changes in 1990 when I came on the scene. Check it out. (laughs) She admits it, but people think she's being poetic, humble, theoretical. Cut to the end of our so-called story. I'm basically unable to walk to the door to say I need to relieve myself. We're sitting on the green chase lounge in the yard. She's got the yellow pad out, and now she's writing to break your heart. Now, you fucking loser. Now? Yes, now. The book is here, our book. Yes, I have helped mightily as I wrote virtually every poem by Eileen Miles from 1990 to 2006, and she wrote nothing, nothing in the intervening months. No, years. A cat writes a poem? I don't think so. A cat does not have a poem. A cat stays in. It's a whole other kind of thing for them. I'm not really in touch with them yet. Oscar, cat? I was like, yeah, a cat. We picked a pretty doggy one, Ernie, black guy. He was wandering around wondering if this was the right place for him. We took him in, and I liked him very much, and the pair of them were devastated after my departure. But there's no poems in that. You know, the person you should talk to is Don Allen. Oscar, who's that? Rosie, she's a talker in between her. Oscar, you mean... Rosie, yeah, she's a puppet. She's our puppet. She's practically a saint. People call her up, and for a very reasonable rate, she lets us speak. Eileen Miles waits till the end of my life to see what I was hanging around for. Was I her father? That's a very big part of this book about me. Humans are always looking for the obvious, very low, very base, very banal kinds of puppetry. They can't imagine their own animation ending. They decide that God's got his little paw in them, laughing. I know that sounds a little sleazy. Oscar, not to us. Murmuring echoes up the mountain. Rosie, they decide their children will be their future puppets. They build institutions and write books to carry on their names. Quack, quack, quack. Everything will speak their name while they're alive, especially when they're gone. The pathetic thing about humans is that they think that everything is in their hands. Their hands are in or on everything. Pat, pat, rubbing behind the ears, looking in your eyes for years. Oscar, so you had your say. First in the book, through, then through Don Allen, and now here. I would kill for that experience. Rosie, and you have in a lot of movies. A, a doll coming alive, a puppet coming alive. The only things humans can imagine about puppets finally becoming free of them is that you guys all want to kill. And, and for good reason. Oscar, you said it, chief. 
<laughs> no, see, I told Don Allen what I loved. The grass in our yard, the sun on my fur. Jethro was thinking about moving again. And in this conversation, I let him know very clearly that for me, it wouldn't be so good. Don asked if I would come along, and I used some language that anyone who came from the Miles family should have known meant no. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It was a joke. I was talking like Eileen Miles' mother so she would know in the deepest possible way what was going on. Oscar, and did she take the hint? What did she do? Rosie, moved to Los Angeles, of course. She wound up sitting in an apartment in Koreatown writing my will. Thank you. Same old story. Most poets, most humans, for my money, if they have anything going on at all, will still prefer singing about it rather than truly being. I guess it was the best she could do. Poor old Jethro. First she killed her father, she killed the family parakeet, and then she killed me. Oscar, chilling, does she know? Rosie, she's about to find out. We've written a book, this very sad book, about trying to listen. A dog, even, or especially when our hearing's gone, we know what everything means, that the universe is deep. It's not about what's inside you. The inside is empty. All puppets nodding. It's the layered story that's true. That's what everything means to me. The world is waiting. It wants very much to tell you its facts. It wants to be seen. Once you touch everything and touch it well, then you can let go and go home. Puppets, you mean? Rosie, then you can sink into the pond and know everything. There's no God. There's no dog. Just water. Everything is water. On and on. Oscar, I think that is a very nice place to close. Thanks. Questions? If anybody has a question, I'm. Um, you know, I've never, I've loved your work since you were at St. Mark's and before anybody knew who you were. And when I saw a poem of yours in the New Yorker, I just like, it just changed the whole New Yorker for me. Okay. So I just never saw this connection before. It's the surfaces sort of like Didion, and I'm just wondering what you think of that. Which, which part? The it's just Didion? The, the layers, that was so beautiful. And the, you know, the idea of uh, just letting this universe wash over you and, and the surfaces, touching the surfaces. Huh. And Didion would always, you know, like a laser, she'd, she'd start with the surfaces and then get to the essence of the thing. I'm just wondering if her writing was anything that you... Oh, I think in, in nobody, nobody, I mean, I went, when I was going to, uh, Slouching Towards Bethlehem was the book that everybody was like, oh my God, I want to be a writer. This is incredible. So, yeah, I mean, um, though I care less about her work as time passes, but, but I mean, I think there was just, you know, it was like, you know, I kinda, there was a whole gang of writers that knew journalism that was like Tom Wolfe and Hunter Thompson, and they were just sort of like these kind of wild um, I mean, like the thing that people talk about, like this kind of new nonfiction fiction that we're all doing, I think all those guys started for sure. Because I think it was like documentary film and, you know, fact and fiction and docudramas and, and just realizing in the media that all those things were unclear and, and early perceptions of fake news and so on. And, um, and what, what do we get to put next to each other and what's genre and, you know, on and on. So, yeah, totally. It's like that was what, you know. I think when I was younger, I wanted to be a journalist, not a poet. Um, but yeah, Joan, D- Joan Didion's great. Yeah. 
And I did, I did the, it was so weird. It was like, what, here's what's really weird. I was standing there before the reading, and I was like nervous because I'm always a complete wreck before a reading. And you looked at me and said, Are you nervous? And I was like, I refuse to answer that question. But in my, I was at McDowell, and Joan Didion was there, and she was about to give a talk. And I wanted to talk to her, but I didn't know what to say. So I went up to her and I said, Are you nervous? And she just, she just looked at me like, Go away, you know? And it was like, it was like a real conversation. So, and when you said that, when you said, Are you nervous? I thought, Joan Didion. So. We like it's a very linked universe. Oh. Um, anything else? Um, I heard you say years ago that part of your poetry writing process happens orally, that you'd be like driving and saying it out loud. And I remember you saying that. And I'm wondering how the process between your poetry differs from this process. Like, how do you get it off the page ultimately? Right. I mean, I just feel, for me, all writing is like listening, you know? And so I think it's sort of like, I feel like I heard this book before I ever read it, and I feel like the act of writing for me is like, is is like just, you're channeling something. You're just letting this, and I think this whole suffering of writing is you're just waiting for the, you know, like you can either be writing tons of garbage, and you can start channeling while you're writing, or you could be like suffering, and then, and then, the channeling begins, you know? So it's, sometimes it seems it's better just to be writing because you'll be there, you know? Because it's, it's kind of hellish when you're driving and you get struck with this really great idea and you put it on your phone. And I feel like everything that was on the phone, it just gets lost. And so I have all these crazy recordings on my phone. Um, but for a while, I used to travel with one of those little skinny recorders. And just the fact that it was only... I mean, I think the, I think the phones... Uh, iPhones have really fucked us up. Because I feel like they do so many things that they're sort of the repository of nothing. You know? And when it was like you had a thermometer and a phone... And I, it was just like you knew where to go. And you weren't always there, forgetting. Like, why am I looking at my phone? Oh, I guess I wanted to know what the temperature is, but now there's this, me- this message. You know? And you just I feel like we're just lost. You know? in the sensorium or something. So it was nice to have a little skinny recorder and I keep one. And they're hard to find now, you know? But they're out there. Um, hey, anything else? Um, hello? Hey, um, just like, trying to agree with Sylvia and Sylvia normally, uh, and like, what draws you to a new form? Like, whether you think, like, you have poetry, I'm just like a huge procrastinator. And so I feel like like at poems are like I mean poems were like I was at work and I was writing poems or poems were like I was in college and I had a notebook and I would write write poems instead of like drawing. You know, so I just like poetry came out of this sense of there was some place I was supposed to be and I supposed to, was supposed to be listening and paying attention and I wasn't. You know, and so I think it's a long pedagogy of, of, you know, like fleeing from where I was. And then I think, um, so I write a lot, if I'm working on a novel, I write a lot of poems, you know, because I'm supposed to be working on the novel. And I think just things, I feel like the thing that's great about, I feel like, I don't believe in writer's block because I just think you should just write something else. You know, like just flee to another form and then you'll keep producing. You know, so I I think it's, and to me they, they come, they don't come, like a poem doesn't come as a novel, it comes as a poem. You know, and if I get a line, I know that's the first line of a story or a novel it's not a first line of something else and when I think my dog is dying I don't think you know like it's just it's like it's an account of her and it's nonfiction, and it's simply true you know 
So I think things seem to tell, I think things come labeled in a way, you know. But I think the thing is, once you're like filling a whole book, you can throw all this other stuff in. You know, like I think a form is very watery, finally. You know, so there's no reason why a poem can't migrate into a memoir. And, a, and a, you know, like I think it's sort of like, like that letter from the lawyer I wrote like in 1999 when I was, li- I was living here in Los Angeles and I didn't know where it came from. And I was like, it just was like a problem for years. Like, what do I do with this, you know? And then once I was writing this book, I thought, there's got to be a way. And the book, the problem in the book got to be how to fit, where to fit the letter in. And then at some point I thought, oh God, that fucked up rape story. You know, I, I, I have to put that in this book. But I wrote that when I was running for president, you know? So I think there's a way in which it's like, you, you, the more forms you write in, the more they all seem um, like open to each other in a way. They're sort of communal, I think. Um, This is that. Yeah. This is like ten years of apology. I don't know, it's just like. No, I, I'm wondering, a, if you've forgiven yourself for that experience, and b, if you saw Rosie in the afterlife, what would your interaction be like? Huh. I mean, I feel like I do see Rosie in the afterlife, and my interaction is like this. Um, so that's. I mean, that's a really cheap answer, but. Um, <laughs> But I feel like, yeah, no, no, I feel like I've, read, I've only read this piece twice, and it's horrifying. I mean, it's, it's part, I mean, it was like gross, right? It was sort of like, you're kind of, I mean, I felt I began reading it feeling sort of smirky, like, this is going to be really funny. And I was like, it's not funny, it's really disgusting, you know? And then slowly feeling the room go, oh, this is horrible, you know? And it's just like, how can this be, like, it's a big dog rape joke, you know? I mean, it's sort of like, so I think it gets worse, actually. Doing it was, doing it was terrible. And the second, actually, that we tried to do it twice. The second time she decided at the last minute that she did want to do it. So it was great. We weren't going to do it again. We were, like, bringing her to the date. And weirdly, it was another dog named Buster. It was so strange. It was, like, <laughs> strange coincidence. And, and she was like, no, or, like, we're not going to make her do it. And then she, I mean, i, I got to stop miming dog sex. But she just sort of sprung over suddenly and presented herself. And then they did it. And we're like, okay. And then nothing happened. You know, and then the end of the story, we went to the, I went to the vet to see if she was pregnant and the dog, you know, the vet was feeling her belly and then he just looked up at me and said, you know, some dogs just don't want to have puppies. And it felt so like, I felt so indicted both as a, as a mammal and as a, the quote owner of a mammal, you know, and I was like, okay, we are off the hook, you know, both of us. And, um, but I mean, I think it's a crime. I think it's a crime. I think it's sort of like, I mean, I, weirdly I've stopped eating meat on this tour and I feel like it's not unrelated. Like suddenly I feel like it's just like, I don't want to be eating animals. I don't want, you know, I just feel like... Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fucked up and immoral. Just like, you know, we know all the stuff that we're here. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, everything we're going through right now around rape and sex and consent. And it's just like, we were having this conversation about it earlier. And I think it's just like, our, well, our, our people of power allowed to touch the bodies of people with lesser power. And in gender, that means men and women, but it also means younger men, younger, you know, it's just like everybody, it's sort of like if you're in somebody's, under somebody's control, do you have the right to touch them? Just every time I'm in a restaurant and some waiter's trying to get around me and he just lightly touch, touches me on my hips and it just feels obscene. And I was like, you so wouldn't do that to a dude. You would so get fucking punched, you know? And it was just like, it's that idle feeling that, that this is a female body and I can touch it. You know, and so I think, you know, it's sort of like, I feel like I'm having a, yeah, I'm certainly having a moral moment with my dog by, you know, looking at that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking.
Are we th are we there? You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.